Proverbs 17 first off and uh, Matthew. Proverbs 17, then also, if you don't mind, uh, heading over to uh, Matthew 14. But before we get going here, two things I want to share. I wanted to mention before as she's walking out with him. Um, you, can, you can keep going, Stacy. That's okay. Uh, Alan is making his first appearance here at church. Born, was it last 15th? 15th, 15th, February 15th. So even though she's leaving with him, if you get a chance, make sure you say congrats there to Adam and Stacy for little Alan there as well. And also calling up Rachel real quick. If Rachel could come up, uh, she is leaving Friday to head over to England for a missions trip. For how long again, Rachel? Eight days. So we just want to pray over Rachel here real quick. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for safety to and from for Rachel. Just all the connecting flights, your sovereignty over everything. I just pray that every person she speaks to at the uh, airport, on the plane, everything is just an opportunity to represent Jesus. She's going over with the mindset to be a light and a witness for you. What a blessing to see this young lady take time that could have been spent on many other things to devote to spreading your word. Open up the doors over there. The conversations she will have, already prepare those in just your name through your spirit. Let the enemy be bound, you be glorified. And from beginning to end of this trip, we ask for your blessing in your name. Amen. Thank you. We will be praying. So keep Rachel in prayer starting Friday for the next week or so then. Keep her in prayer. She will be over in England doing that as well. All righty. Proverbs. Proverbs 17. As you guys know, we pick a verse here as we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Proverbs that kind of sets our tone for it. And then we come back and we find these other verses in the book of Proverbs 17 that work with that as well. So the verse that we're starting out with here in chapter 17 is verse 24. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. So Lord, give us wisdom today as we go through this. What you see in verse 24 is two things. You have really two choices. You can either look at wisdom or you can, in verse 24, look at the things of the earth. That's really how simple this world is. You're either going to keep your eyes focused on wisdom or you're going to keep your eyes focused on the earth. Now, in Proverbs, wisdom has been personified many times as a woman calling out, saying, follow me, seek me. God wants to give you wisdom. Going one step further in the Gospels and also in 1 Corinthians, Jesus calls himself wisdom. So therefore, by keeping your eyes on wisdom, what you're really doing is keeping your eyes on Christ. And I'm telling you right now, when you get up in the morning, every action you do, according to verse 24, you either have wisdom in your sight or you have the earth in your sight. Now, if you just think about that for a second, which one's more productive, keeping Christ in your lenses here or keeping the world? According to 1 John chapter 2, the world is passing away. So if the world is passing away, why would I want to focus on anything of this earth? According to Hebrews 12, verse 2, we're supposed to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we keep our eyes on Christ. He is the beginning and the end of our faith. Colossians even takes it deeper in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Now, I asked you guys this question a lot, and I just want you to think this through for a second. Think about what got you worked up this week. Got you angry, got you frustrated, got you bitter, got you mad, whatever it is. How many of those things actually dealt with eternity? How many of those things actually dealt with something that dealt with heaven? Or is it some earthly thing that is passing away that you got your eyes caught on it for a second and you realized it's not worth it? Please remember, if you keep your eyes on wisdom, if you keep your eyes on Christ and not the things of this earth, things will go so much better. According to verse 24, when your eyes are on the things of this earth, you're walking as a fool. 
We don't want to walk as a fool. We want to walk in the wisdom of God. A practical story of keeping your eyes on Christ. Go with me now to Matthew 14, please. Matthew 14. Remember every conversation you have with your spouse, with your children, at work, with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. You have to make a decision as you're talking to them. Are we keeping our eyes on the things of Christ and wisdom? Or are we going to get ourselves caught up in the things of this earth and the foolishness of it? Take a look here at Matthew 14. Matthew 14 is a story of Jesus walking on the water. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. And you can see in verse 22... It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So Jesus sends them ahead. He comes later, and he comes in the midst of this storm here on the Sea of Galilee. And they are tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. It says in Mark's account that they were straining against the wind. They were trying to row against the wind. And here comes Jesus now walking on the waves towards them. It's the fourth watch. So it means it's around 3 a.m. Now, let's just put this in perspective. Here you are, you're in the middle of a storm. You're rowing against the storm. You're scared. You're frightened. You're tired. It is 3 o'clock in the morning. It is dark. It is wet. There's not much hope. And here comes Jesus walking on the water right towards you. Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Put yourself in this position for a second. Now, I doubt that any of us have actually ever been on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm at 3 o'clock in the morning. But you are in storms of life right now. Right now you feel like you're rowing against the wind. There are storms. You're scared. You're frightened. It's darkness. It's whatever. And here comes Jesus walking towards you. Amen. This is where it gets interesting, though. In Mark's account of this story, it says that Jesus started walking towards them. And guess what he did? He was going to walk right past them. That's your loving Savior that died on the cross for your sins. He's going to walk right past you in the middle of a storm. Why is he going to walk right past you in the middle of a storm? Because he is not going to step in and help unless you ask him to help. Here's the deal, guys. I know some of you. I know in my own personal life. I will be in the midst of a storm. It is night. It is wet. I'm scared and I'm straining against the wind. Here comes Jesus wanting to help me and I don't take his help. I want to do it my way. I would rather fight against the storms and the waves and Jesus walks on by. And as Jesus walks on by, then I get angry and upset at God saying, you don't care. No, Jesus says, you don't want my help. Well, of course I want you to help. But well, then you got to let go of the rose sometimes. This is something I've realized out here in years of doing this. There's a lot of times people come and say, oh, I want things to be different. We say that, but do we really mean it? Do we really stop and say, I want my life to be different. I really want my marriage to be different, my witness to be different. I want to be pure in all things. Or is this just kind of this Christian verbiage that we throw out? Because if you really want things to be different, the Lord will meet you in the middle of the storm and help you. But if we just say it, He's just going to walk right on past. He's not going to force you into anything. So as he's walking on past, they're crying out. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. They're troubled, they're fearful, they're wet, they're scared, it's late, it's dark, it's all the above. Then 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Oh, I love that. That's Christ right there. In the midst of the storm, he wants to encourage you, he wants to uplift you, he wants to help you. He wants to. 
you got to let go of the rose. You've got to quit fighting the storm. you got to let your Savior take care of it. If you keep fighting it, you're going to wear yourself out. 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had walked down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. See, right there, 30 is what we're talking about. Peter could walk on the water when he had his eyes on Jesus. Peter began to sink when he looked at the wind. It goes back to what we've talked about now in Proverbs 17, 24. If you keep your eyes on wisdom in Christ, it will work out. You will walk in joy and peace. As soon as you get your eyes on the things of this earth, you're going to sink. You're a fool. Keep your eyes on Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. When Peter kept his eyes on Christ, he's walking on water. But the problem is this. You and me, verse 30, we start seeing the wind. It's boisterous. We become scared. And guess what happens in 30? We start to sink. Why? Because we got our eyes off Christ. If you're here this morning and you feel like your world is falling apart and you're sinking, I'm just going to ask you a straightforward question. Are your eyes on Christ or are your eyes on the wind? Are your eyes on Christ or are your eyes on the waves? If you're on the wind and waves, you're going to sink. Now, it's easy to pick on Peter for this. But please remember, there's only two people in the history of the world that's walked on water. Jesus and Peter, and one of them was God. Peter's in pretty good company here, folks pretty good company. We can pick on him for letting the wind and the waves scare him, but there was also the element of faith to get out of the boat. I tell you, there was 11 other disciples that were too scared to get out of the boat. Some of you may be in a situation right now where God is saying, get out of the boat and trust me and walk on the water. And you say, no, I can't. It's too scary. You're missing out on it. Take the step of faith and see what God has in store. But what happens if I sink? Well, what happens if you sink? Verse 30, Lord, save me. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately. If I was Jesus, I'd let him sink for a little bit just to teach him a lesson. (laughs) Immediately he helps him. There's a real neat picture I saw one time online from the perspective of Peter at this position. It's a real neat picture. This idea of you see the water you see and you just see a hand coming out of the water and you see Jesus reaching down to grab. It's an amazing view from that perspective. That Peter had the faith to walk out on, but then he also then walked in fear and began to sink. And Lord, save me. A three-word prayer. Lord, save me. And that's all that was needed. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? doesn't rebuke him. doesn't get angry at him encourages him. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they had gotten to the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. What a great example here of keeping your eyes on Christ in the midst of the storm, your eyes on wisdom and not on the things of this world. One more passage about this before we jump back to Proverbs. Go with me now to Philippians 3, please. Philippians 3. The wind can be a scary thing. On a day like today, it's easy to allow yourself to get caught up in the wind and the waves and get your eyes off Christ and begin to sink. Because that wind can sound rough and tough, and it can push. I got here to church this morning for the first service, and I was coming in, parked my car, and as I'm walking against the wind coming in, my goodness, it takes just the breath out of your lungs, and it's literally pushing you back. So I called Dawn. 
because, you know, she's got to bring the, the 12 passenger van. And I said, you know, honey, I don't know. It's going to keep getting windier here. I'm not going to be with you to drive. So we kind of talked about it and decided what to do. And I said, the wind was pretty rough out there. You know what my wife told me? I said, Donna, it's kind of hard walking into church. On the phone, she goes, man up. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Listen, you think I make these stories up about Dawn. I don't make these stories up. She goes, man up. She goes, I'm outside looking at my ducks right now. She goes, they're walking against the wind. If the duck can walk against the wind, you can walk against the wind. That's the last conversation that Dawn and I have had today. So if I die on my way home, the last words of my wife were, man up. <laughs> so there you go. She's comparing me to our ducks. Um, <laughs> Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul here is saying I have to put the past behind me and move forward. Okay, if I keep my eyes on Christ and I keep my eyes on wisdom, I'm going to keep moving forward. That's what we're reading here in 14. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm moving forward. Guys, you've got to keep moving forward in Christ. You have been, may, may have been raised in the most dysfunctional of dysfunctional homes. You may have been hurt by choices people have been made over the years. You may be in a position right now where the health isn't right, the finances isn't right. I don't know, but you've got to keep moving forward. If you choose to stop and look at the wind and the waves, you're going to sink. That's why you have to press forward for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you may say, easier said than done. Remember who spoke this. This is Paul that used to make widows and orphans. That used to go around and round up Christians and kill them. He says, i got to put that behind me, and i got to move forward in Christ. So verse 15, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if of anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He says, verse 15, maturity means moving forward. Maturity means keeping your eyes on Christ. If you're constantly allowing the wind and the waves to make you sink in this world, Paul says you're not mature in the Lord. doesn't mean you're not saved, but your relationship with Christ is very superficial. We want people to have a deep depth in their walk and relationship with Christ. And part of the way to have that is while you're in the storm, not looking at the wind, not looking at the waves, looking at Jesus. Now listen. There's different levels of maturity in life. I get that. Our oldest is going to be 14 here just in a month. And the youngest, the twins, are 19 months. So we have quite, quite the age group. And it's fun to see them at different maturity levels. I can take my boys that are older and we can sit down and, and play a board game that has a lot of intense rules. If I try to go do that with the twins, pieces are going to end up in the mouth. It just is. There's different maturity. If I would go to my older boys and say, hey, do you want to go get out the girls' tea set and play tea? No, they have matured past that. But they're my kids and I love them. And I will do whatever I can to meet them at their level. I don't know what level you're at with Christ. I hope you're here this morning. And number one, I hope you're saved. But here's the deal. The Lord wants you to mature. He wants you to grow and go deeper. And this is what Paul is saying is for some of you, you've got to put the past behind you. Get your eyes on Christ and keep moving forward. 
Take a look at 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. And here's our tie-in now to 17, Proverbs 17. Who set their mind on earthly things. A sign of immaturity is you're always thinking about earthly things. You're getting worked up over what this person said. You're getting worked up over what this person did. You're bothered at this situation. You're bothered at that. It's an earthly thing. you got to let it go. Get your eyes on Christ. What am I supposed to do? Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I understand that my citizenship is in heaven, I have an eternal mindset. I'm not looking at the passing things of this earth. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm setting my mind on things above and not the things on this earth. I'm Peter looking at Jesus and walking on the water, not Peter looking at the wind and the waves and sinking. I am doing what Proverbs 17 says. I got my eyes focused on wisdom and not the things of this earth. So with that foundation, jump back now with me to Proverbs 17, please. The eternal mindset. What does it look like to have your mind focused on wisdom and the eternal? Now let's take some verses from Proverbs 17 and look at it. The first thing you see is if you have an eternal mindset and your eyes are on Christ, you stay away from foolish things. Proverbs 17, take a look here at verse 12. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. That's a fun little verse. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. That's how dangerous it is to be around a fool. Better to be around a mama bear and mess with her cubs than to be around a fool. Here's the problem. We work with fools. We live with fools. Some of you married a fool. You go to church with fools. You go to school with fools. There's fools all around. Aren't you glad God loves fools? Now, here's the deal. The Lord is not telling us to never speak to a fool. Be a light, be a witness, encourage them in their walk and relationship with Christ. If they're saved, if they're not, be a light and a witness to have them come get saved. But you've got to be careful of the time and energy that you invest in relationships with fools. If you constantly choose to build deeper relationships with fools, it's going to come back to bite you. Be careful of the people you choose to invest time in. That's why it says, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Be careful of that. Because here's the problem. Look at verse 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the price of the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it? See, fools have the ability to buy wisdom from the Lord. They choose not to. The purchase price is there, but they have no heart for it. So you're going to run into those people that are always going to say the right things. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to grow. I want to go deeper. I want this. I want that. But they're not doing it. There is no effort. There is no maturity. There is no growing. So we're using this term fool a lot. What does a fool look like? Well, there's many different descriptions of fool in the Bible. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the word fool or foolish is used 78 times. Think about that. There's a lot of fools here in the book of Proverbs. What does a fool look like? According to Psalm 14, a fool denies God. So if you're running into somebody who's denying God, they're a fool. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. Jesus still died on the cross for their sins. We want to be a witness to them. But what a foolish thing to deny the existence of God. Psalm 92, a fool doesn't care about the deeper things of God. They're okay with being immature. They're okay with this surface relationship. They're okay with this earthly mindset, but yet still saying I'm a Christian, but not living like it. That's a fool. 
They don't care about the things of God. We see in Proverbs here, Proverbs 17, look at verse 7. Excellent speech is not becoming of a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. You can tell people are fooled by how they walk and their words. Fools can't watch their words. They walk in pride. Luke chapter 12 says a fool has no focus on eternity, only the things of this world. Those are the people we got to be careful around. Those are the people we got to be careful what we invest our time and energy with. And you may be thinking right now, James, that really limits the people you can have deep relationships with. You bet it does. That's why we go out and be a light and a witness to them and we encourage them. But it makes us really stop and say, okay, Lord, who am I investing my time in? And let me repeat this for the third time so no one can walk out of here confused. Doesn't mean you don't talk to them. Doesn't mean you don't interact with them. But what it means is you're careful about how much time you invest with it because it's going to come back to hurt you. And we need to be careful about that. What else do we see here in the Bible about what does it mean to have an eternal earthly mindset? Well, it means that you let go of earthly pursuits. Because a fool is so focused on the earthly things, they don't look at eternity. Take a look here at uh, Proverbs 17, verse 8. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. That's an interesting verse. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he proverbs prospers excuse me i like how the new living translation says this verse a bribe is like a lucky charm whoever gives one will prosper that's interesting a bribe is like a lucky charm whoever gives one will prosper so the bible is telling you bribery works hey there you go that's your life lesson for the day we're teaching that to your kids right now in sunday school um here's the thing about the bible the bible acknowledges the truth of that bribery works we're going to build on this, so be careful here. If you're like really marking this verse right now, saying this is the best thing I've ever heard, hold on. The Bible acknowledges the fact that bribery does work. You know, you hear the stories of it. You know what happens. People will do a lot for a sum of money or a promise or something like that. A fool has such an earthly mindset that they realize the idea of the bribery works because people are willing to compromise for possessions, money, what have you. Now, look at the flip side of this, though. Verse 23, same chapter. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. God acknowledges bribery works, but in the same chapter, he says, yeah, and to be involved in it is wickedness. See, that's the thing. You can find ways to get ahead in this world. You can find ways to get your earthly toys and all your possessions, and you're going to have to compromise a whole awful lot, probably. It's not worth it. One of the most dangerous people to be is the rich young ruler. You remember the rich young ruler. Each gospel account gives him a different definition, or excuse me, a different description. One of them, he is young. One of them, he is rich. And one of them, he's a ruler. So this guy has everything the world can offer. He's got power. He's got position. He's got wealth. And he's got his health. Do you know what? He didn't have Jesus. Just be careful of chasing down everything the world has to offer. If you don't believe me, take some time and go read the book of Ecclesiastes foolishness chases down more earthly pursuits and pleasures and it comes wickedness that's what a fool does what else does foolishness do foolishness rebels look at uh, proverbs 17 verse 11 an evil man seeks only rebellion therefore a cruel messenger will be sent against him foolishness rebels against god and what happens is a cruel messenger is sent against you cruel messenger some translations severely punished a messenger of death it will affect you spiritually. It will affect you physically when you choose to rebel against God. 
It will affect you in so many ways. What does it mean to rebel against God? Let's find out. Go with me to 1 Samuel 15. Because I think the Bible has a different definition of rebellion than what we do. 1 Samuel 15. I'm willing to bet all of us here, at one time or another, has been in rebellion against God. What does it look like? 1 Samuel 15. A little bit of background here. Saul is king. He's the first king of Israel. And God has given Saul a command through Samuel the prophet. Samuel has said that the Lord has told me to tell you to go and destroy Amalek. Take a look here at verse 3. 1 Samuel 15. Now go and attack Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Those are one of those verses that people get really worked up about. God of love. How can a God of love do this? Killing man, woman, infant, nursing child, etc. Problem is we don't look at the full context of God's word. So we're just going to take a quick moment and teach on this before we move on. God is such a God of grace and mercy. He is. And we have to remember this God of grace and mercy also gives people, um, gives people a chance to escape. It gives people a chance to repent. It gives people a chance to get out of there. In Genesis, that God says, I'm going to give these Amalekites 400 years. 400 years to repent. So I think after 400 years, if they've chosen not to repent, God has the right to judge them. Well, it's not fair, the man, woman, nursing, child, all that. It's not fair. Okay, but jump ahead a little bit. Look at verse 6. Actually, 5. Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites. Saul says, Leave. I don't want you to die. That's grace. That's Saul going up to the town and saying, Listen, I have a command from God. I'm going to destroy you guys. If you don't want to be destroyed, leave. That's worked in Jericho. That's how Rahab the prostitute got saved. She left. So by choosing to stay, Amalekites, you're choosing to take on the judgment of God. See, the problem is people quote these verses and they say, God's just going out killing everybody. Okay, he is. He's ordering the command of killing this sinful group of people that was causing problems in the world. After 400 years of repentance, after also going and warning them, they chose not to. Listen, there's going to be a lot of people that go to hell. A lot of people that go to hell. And they have all been thoroughly warned by the Holy Spirit and his conviction. And the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and they're choosing to reject that. God has no joy in the death of the wicked, according to the book of Ezekiel. No joy. He wants people to repent and turn. The sad part is some people don't want to repent and turn. These people could have been saved if they would have left and said, well, follow the God of Jehovah. They chose not to. So judgment comes, and what happens is this. Saul goes, and he destroys them, Verse 8, he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So the job was to destroy everything. And Saul says, yeah, I'm going to keep some people alive and I'm going to keep the best stuff alive too. Disobedience. Samuel shows up. Samuel says then, verse 14... What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul, I'm hearing a lot of animals that are supposed to be dead. Saul comes back and says this, 20. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Compromise. Half-hearted obedience. Keep remembering this. Remember, Saul's great thing is this. Listen, I obeyed. Verse 20, I obeyed. Saul, you didn't. Utterly destroy everything. Oh, I obeyed. I just kept the best things back so we could sacrifice to God. This is compromised Christianity. Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I love him so much that I'm going to purposely walk in this area of my life that I know is completely, utterly wrong. Guys, that's dangerous. That's being a fool. Now, how does this have to do with rebellion? Verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Better to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Samuel says, disobedience is rebellion. Because you are claiming with your voice that God is my God. My master, my savior, my Lord, and I'm going to purposely walk in disobedience and know it's wrong. That's rebellion. And when we choose to walk in rebellion, going back now to Proverbs 17, what does Proverbs 17 say it's going to happen when we walk in rebellion? According to verse 11, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. A severely punished messenger of death. God says, I love you enough to say that I have to deal with this hypocrisy. Now, this is love, folks. I know it doesn't seem that way, but this is love. This is love to stop and say a half-hearted relationship with the Lord where you're faking obedience and saying how much you love God and then purposely going out and living against him. That's going to come back to bite you. I remember when Richard and Betsy used to do the parenting classes out here at church and we would go to them. I remember Betsy saying this one time. She says, you can't parent from the couch. And that has always hit me. That you sit on the couch and say, hey, boys, I need you to go do this. And then the boys go to come back. Boys, you take care of that? Yep. And then you go down and look. You and I have a different definition of what it means to be taken care of then. But you said you did. And I remember you can't parent from the couch. If they said they got the job done, the task done, that means I need to get up off the couch and go confirm that they did it. God is up in heaven right now and says, I'm asking obedience. Yep, Lord, I am completely, utterly obedient to you. Okay, I'll just trust you. No, God comes down and checks it out. Listen, if you're here today and you have any position of authority at work, you know that you give commands, you give jobs to your employees to do, and you also know what? That as a good employee, what do you do? You go back and check to make sure they did it. And what would you do with the employee that constantly kept saying, nope, I have obeyed, and they're not doing it? You would sit down with them, I hope, in love and respect and say, this isn't working. God loves us enough to say, listen, rebellion is a dangerous thing. Well, I'm not in rebellion against God. Well, according to 1 Samuel 15, anytime I purposely disobey him, I'm in rebellion. And it's the sin is witchcraft. And look at the next sin he mentioned, stubbornness. It's a dangerous spot to be in when you're constantly defending yourself before God. What happens then as a fool when I'm rebelling against God? It affects my house. Verse 13. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Listen, if you're a fool and you're raising fools, it's going to affect your house. If you're a fool in your marriage, it's going to affect your marriage. 
If you live by yourself and you're a fool, it's still going to affect you. It is going to affect your house, and it's going to seep down. Be careful of making reasons and justifying. Look at verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. How often do we justify our behaviors before God? God says, be careful. That's why it says in Isaiah, Woe to him who calls what is good evil and what is evil good. Woe to him. That's a dangerous spot and place to be. We need to be careful about that because it starts affecting generations. So why not just go correct them? I wish it was that easy, but take a look at verse 10. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. You can go to somebody. You can tell them in love, listen, this is not good. Love you. This is going to hurt you. This is going to hurt your family. This is going to hurt your walk. They have to want to change. That's why you got to pray that they have ears to hear. you got to pray that their heart is open to what the Lord is saying. You can go to them in love and correct them, but they have to want to be different and change. If they choose not to, you can do a hundred blows on them, but they're still going to be a fool. Now, please remember, God loves fools. He loves them, but he loves them enough to say they can't stay in that position. We have to want to desire to go deeper in the Lord because what happens is it starts affecting generations. Take a look at 21. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Boy, oh boy, what a joy it is to see your kids walk in the truth. What a joy it is to see generations changed in Christ. But what despair it is to see a fool beget more fools. 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. That's sad to see, to see generations start producing more fools. Now, does that mean it's always going to happen? No. I know some of you guys. Some of you guys came out of the most dysfunctional of dysfunctional households. Some of you guys were raised by fools, but you have been born again and changed in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in the Lord. Aren't you thankful that even though you may have been raised by fools, born by fools, lived with fools, Christ still comes in and makes a change in us. That's the beauty of grace, which takes us to our last verse. Look at verse 2. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame. The son should have the greater place of honor, but the servant gets it. Why does a servant get it? Because he's wise. You may have been born to a house of fools, raised in a house of fools, lived in a dysfunctional house of fools, but when you choose to walk in wisdom, which takes us back to our first verse... Wisdom is in the sight of him who is understanding. When you choose to walk in the wisdom of Jesus Christ, you are now the wise servant. That's the goal, folks. Keep your eyes on Christ, not on the passing things of this earth. That is foolishness. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This world is passing away. Be like Peter who kept his eyes on Christ and walked on the water, not like Peter that saw the wind and the waves and sunk. Don't allow foolishness to keep you into these earthly pursuits and rebellion against God. It's foolishness. It will hurt you and your household. Keep your eyes on the Lord and let him lead you and guide you into all ways and all things. Worship team, if you come forward here with the final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, we want to walk in wisdom, not in foolishness. We want to keep our eyes on you, not on foolishness. Lord, we don't want to walk in rebellion but in truth and obedience, Lord. We want to obey more than sacrifice. 
thank you. Safety for all those traveling home today with this wind and weather. For those that couldn't make it today because of the wind and weather, bless them, Lord. Thank you for those that came. And we want to see you glorified, the saints equipped, and your gospel presented. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.